Good day, and welcome to the Climate Report, broadcasting and podcasting exclusively here on KVMR-FM and at kvmr.org every second and fourth Thursday at 6.30 p.m. I'm Martin Webb. For this evening's news, we're going to stay with a couple of themes on the minds of everyone here in the local listening area, at least, and that is fire and heat waves. As part of the Covering Climate Now, a global consortium of newsrooms around the world and The Guardian, there were several interesting articles over the last week talking about both heat wave fires and the impacts on individuals who can leave or have to stay where they are living. We're going to begin with a brand new study just released yesterday. In the wake of freakishly high temperatures in Canada and the U.S., a group of leading climate scientists have warned that the world needs to step up preparations for extreme heat, which may be hitting faster and harder than previously forecast. Last week's heat dome above British Columbia, Washington State, and Portland, Oregon, smashed daily temperature records by almost 10 degrees in some places. A spike that would have been considered impossible two weeks ago, the experts said, prompting concerns the climate may have crossed a dangerous threshold. A first analysis of the heat wave released on Wednesday found that human-caused climate change made the extreme weather at least 150 times more likely. Temperatures are going up around the world as a result of greenhouse gas emissions, and scientists have long predicted that heat records will be broken with increasing frequency. But, the authors of the new study said, the latest warming surge exceeded even the worst-case scenarios of climate models. This is forcing them to revise their understanding of heat waves and consider the possibility that other parts of the world, including the UK and Europe, could suffer similar temperature jolts. Said Dr. Frederic Otto, the Associate Director of the Environmental Change Institute at the University of Oxford, who's one of the founders of the World Weather Attribution Group that produced the latest study. She says, quote, This is by far the largest jump in the record I have ever seen. We should definitely not expect heat waves to behave as they have in the past in terms of what we need to prepare for. A key focus now is Whether the affected areas of this recent heat wave were simply unlucky, or whether the climate system has crossed a threshold and entered a new stage where a small amount of overall average global heating can cause a faster rise in temporary extreme temperatures. There is as yet no scientific consensus on this, but Researchers will now study as a matter of urgency whether additional forms of climate disruption, such as drought or a slowing jet stream, could be amplifying heat waves. Another of the authors of the new paper, Geert Jan van Oldenborg, of the Royal Netherlands Meteorological Institute, said that up until last year, standard climate models had assumed that there was an upper boundary to heat waves. 
which they knew were moving roughly twice as fast as the broader, broader global heating trends. He said, we thought we knew what was going on. Then this heat wave came, which was way above the upper bound of expectations. With the knowledge of just last year, this was supposed to be impossible. This was surprising and shaking, he said. We are now much less certain about heat waves than we were two weeks ago. We are very worried about the possibility of this happening everywhere, but we just don't know yet. Recent headlines have focused on the U.S. and Canada, which hit a record of 122 degrees at a latitude similar to the U.K. More than 500 deaths have been linked to the heat, which also sparked forest fires, floods from glacial meltwater, power cuts, and buckled roads. The scientists stressed that similar heating trends could be found in many other parts of the world, though they often go underreported, particularly in sub-Saharan Africa, which does not have as many monitoring stations and which receives much less media coverage. Parts of Siberia and Pakistan have recently experienced unusually intense heat waves. Hottest ever days in June were also recorded just last month in Helsinki, Moscow, and Estonia. The World Weather Attribution Group has previously traced a strong link between the climate crisis and other extreme events over the previous two years, including heat waves in Siberia, Australian wildfires, European heat waves, and tropical storm Imelda, which hit Texas in 2019. But more than storms and floods, Otto said human emissions had the clearest and most destructive influence on heat waves, which are now reaching levels that are not adequately represented in anyone's current computer models. She said, what everyone needs to take from this study is how the impact of climate change is manifesting today is to a large degree in the strong intensity and frequency of heat waves. The costs in terms of deaths, illness, missed work hours, and property damage were growing rapidly, said Martin Van Alst of the Red Cross Red Crescent Climate Center and the University of Twente. He said, heat waves topped the global charts of deadliest disasters in both 2019 and 2020. And here in 2021, we have another terrible example. Sadly, no longer a surprise, but part of a very worrying global trend. The reported toll on human life of heat waves is likely to be an underestimate because heat is rarely mentioned on death certificates. Van Alst urged governments to strengthen early warning systems of heat waves and countermeasures for them. Architects and city planners should also design buildings and urban centers with more green space and cooling areas. More urgent still, said the scientists, was a rapid phase-out of the emissions that are causing global heating. 
At the current level of warming, about 1.25 degrees Celsius, the recent deadly heat in the Northwest Americas is considered extraordinary, but the new study found that it could occur more frequently if global temperatures rise by 2 degrees Celsius, expected to come as early as 2050. Next, we turn to a personal article that is also meant to relate to anyone that is considering making a move from a climate-induced fire or heat zone or flood or wherever to a different area. This is a piece written by Peter Gleick, a co-founder of the Pacific Institute. He's a hydrologist and a climatologist and a member of the U.S. National Academy of Sciences. And his piece is called, The Climate Crisis Will Create Two Classes, Those Who Can Flee and Those Who Cannot. He writes, a few years ago, after I gave a talk on water and climate change, I had an Arizona rancher come up and ask me if there would be enough water in the future for their livestock, or if they should sell out and move north. This week, I received an email from a retiring doctor who, acknowledging both their privileged economic situation and the personal nature of the decision, nevertheless asked me if it would be more advantageous slash safe to consider moving to coastal Oregon or Washington rather than staying in Southern California because of rising seas, extreme heat, and the growing threat of wildfires. And as recent as an Independence Day party this weekend, a couple asked me if they should move from Colorado to Michigan because of growing drought and water shortages in the Western U.S. I get these questions regularly and am both encouraged and dismayed by them. Encouraged because it suggests that the message about climate risks is finally getting out and people are beginning to reflect on the personal implications of those risks. Dismayed by the realization that the climate crisis is going to produce two classes of refugees. Those with the freedom and financial resources to try, for a while at least, to flee from growing threats in advance. And those who will be left behind to suffer the consequences in the form of illness, death, and destruction. And I can't answer them. Decisions about where to live, when we're lucky enough to have the ability to choose, are deeply personal. A function of family, friends, jobs, wealth, and idiosyncratic preferences about community, health, environment, and yes, climate and weather. But from the point of view of a scientist, Certain facts about our changing environment are now glaringly unambiguous. Sea levels are rising, and risks from coastal flooding and storms, already extremely high in some places, are growing fast. Rising temperatures are already causing more extreme heat events, which have always been lethal and are becoming more so. 
wildfires are increasing in frequency, intensity, and duration in many parts of the world, threatening communities with death and destruction and causing severe air pollution for millions. The severity of both droughts and floods are on the rise in some regions with consequences for water availability and quality and public health. When it comes to coastal areas worldwide, nearly 700 million people now live in low-lying coastal zones vulnerable to sea level rise and coastal storms. That number could reach a billion by 2050. Island nations like the Maldives, the Seychelles, Kiribati, and others could be completely wiped out by rising seas and storms. Even a rise of only a meter, almost certainly unavoidable now, will displace millions of people in Florida and along the Gulf Coast, causing trillions of dollars in damages and property loss. As an aside to KVMR listeners, Google the analysis being done on Florida and the possibility of buildings collapsing due to seawater rising through the limestone underneath buildings. While they aren't saying that climate change is the cause of this recent building collapse, they're still going to look at that. They're saying that the damage to buildings and infrastructure should be expected to increase as the water rises. Back to Peter Gleick's article. He says the unprecedented heat waves sweeping over the planet recently are harbingers of the heat waves of the future. Temperatures above 120 degrees Fahrenheit swept over the entire Middle East a few weeks ago earlier than ever before. Death Valley hit 128 degrees Fahrenheit just shy of the hottest temperature ever recorded on planet Earth. And then last week, tragically, the small town of Lytton, British Columbia, saw the highest temperatures ever recorded in Canada, 122 degrees, also just shy of the hottest recorded temperature on Earth. And then the very next day, that same small town was wiped out by a brutal and fast-moving wildfire. And the World Meteorological Association, the or, sorry, the World Meteorological Organization this week confirmed a new record high temperature for the Antarctic. The U.S. National Climate Assessment has noted that the period between now and 1950 in the southwestern U.S. has been hotter than any comparable period in the past 600 years, while temperatures continue to rise. Heat stress is already the leading weather-related cause of death in the United States, worse than hurricanes, tornadoes, or floods. Go to Europe, more than 20,000 people, mostly elderly, are already estimated to die annually from exposure to extreme heat. And this problem is most severe in poorer communities that lack shade trees, air conditioning, and cooling shelters. Well, every one of these changes shows the fingerprints of human-caused climate change. 
And in response, humans that can move will move. Just as millions migrated over the past half century from the colder north of the U.S. to sunny, warm communities in Florida, Arizona, New Mexico, and Southern California, we will certainly see a massive reverse migration in the coming half century. Away from the coasts, extreme heat and water shortages to places thought to be more favorable. We're already seeing refugees on the southern border of the U.S., fleeing countries suffering from drought and disasters. If greenhouse gas emissions continue unabated as they have, some models suggest that more than a million climate refugees may move from Central America and Mexico to the United States. And in April, the UN High Commissioner for Refugees released a report showing that climate and weather-related disasters already displace more than 20 million people every year, and that more than a billion could be displaced by climate and weather by 2050. As an aside, if you find yourself moving around California in and out of the state to flee wildfires, then you are being counted in those statistics of refugees of climate and weather-related disasters being displaced. Well, Peter Glyke closes by saying, how bad will it get? I don't know, because I don't know how long our politicians will dither before finally dealing with the climate crisis. I don't know, because there are natural factors that could slightly slow or, or more likely massively speed up the rate of change, causing cascading and accelerating disasters faster than we can adapt. But we know enough now to invest in reducing the emissions of climate changing gases. And to begin to adapt to those impacts, we can no longer avoid. These changes are coming and the costs, especially to those left behind, will be beyond anything our systems have had to deal with in the past. That was an article written by Peter Gleick, co-founder of the Pacific Institute He's a hydrologist and climatologist and a member of the U.S. National Academy of Sciences. He notes that he lives about 30 meters above sea level, but only 900 meters away from an extremely dangerous earthquake fault. Well, we're going to wrap up today's climate report with another personal piece that will ring true for many people. And it is from an author who is writing about the age that we are in, Michelle Nuhuis is the author of a new book, Beloved Beasts, Fighting for Life in an Age of Extinction. And she has an interesting article written called My New Climate Reality, Packing a Fire Bag So I Can Flee at the Drop of a Hat. And while listeners local to the KVMR radio station might be very familiar with having what's called a go bag for several years, this article is written by someone who lives up in Washington State. And she says, on the first day of summer, I woke up to the acrid smell of hot tar. Even before my sleepy brain could name the source, my body tensed with anxiety. Wildfire season was underway. Given the deepening drought and record-setting heat across most of the American West, this year's fire season 
is widely predicted to be among the worst in recent memory, which is saying something because last year's was grotesque. More than 10.5 million acres burned across the region in 2020. That's the highest annual total since accurate records began nearly 40 years ago. At least 43 people died as a direct result of the flames. And researchers estimate that thousands more died from the effects of sustained smoke inhalation. Entire neighborhoods were flattened and evacuations lasted weeks, accelerating the spread of the coronavirus. In rural Washington state where I live, my neighbors and I were trapped inside for days by smoke so thick we could barely see across the street. When I moved west for college 30 years ago, wildfires happened every summer, but each fire was a separate event. Small or large, close or distant, each was distinct. And the sight or smell of wildfire smoke was unusual enough to be remarked upon. For me, at least, safety precautions were an afterthought. If I could find my passport and car keys, I considered myself ready for the season. But as climate change boosts average temperatures and thins the mountain snowpack, wildfires have grown larger and more numerous. The fire season has lengthened and its consequences are compounded by decades of fire suppression and bad municipal planning. Big fires now merge into 100,000 acre plus mega fires. And while each fire still has its own name and statistics, most of us experience the season as one long burn. At its height, smoke is almost always coming from somewhere, often multiple somewheres. Most of the time, at least one family I know is under evacuation orders. Over the years, my preparations for fire season have gradually become more elaborate. During the years that I lived on a fire-prone hillside in arid western Colorado, my passport and extra keys were joined by a hard drive and a haphazard pile of documents. My neighbors kept a cistern of water in the back of an old pickup truck for use as an ad hoc fire engine. When my family moved north a few years ago, we looked forward to living in a somewhat less flammable climate and somewhat more fire-safe location. But as the summer smoke worsens here too, we've started to accumulate air filters and box fans. This year, dire forecasts in mind, I found myself eyeing preloaded bug-out bags the ever-widening selection of pricey backpacks pre-stuffed with first-aid supplies, protein bars, and sealed bags of drinking water. I comparison-shopped for solar-powered weather radios pouring over reviews. I ultimately resisted the retail therapy. But last weekend, I purged closets and piled up necessities, readying for a possible quick departure. And... As temperatures in the Pacific Northwest have soared to previously unimaginable heights, and my 12-year-old and I took shelter at our air-conditioned local library, I've realized that wildfire 
isn't the only climate disaster my family might face. I'm not in general prone to worry, nor am I particularly organized. But my wildfire precautions are no longer performative, no longer just a hasty charm against bad luck. At some point during the last three decades, they became more like preparations for a trip. One whose departure date is both uncertain and inevitable. One of these years, more likely than not, my family will be among those evacuated. Like so many before us, we'll be packing our car, heading to safety and waiting for news. So when officials talk about the need to adapt to climate change, they're often referring to technology, taller seawalls, hardier crops, improved emergency alert systems. But some adaptations to climate change are less visible and more personal. As the climate gets drier and hotter, the air gets worse and the fire risk increases. All of us in the West are adjusting as we can in small ways and large. Those of us lucky enough to make it through the last fire season face the next with a little more trepidation, a few more precautions and a growing realization that summer is no longer what it used to be. Well, that was an article written by author Michelle Nuhuis. It was a piece titled My New Climate Reality, Packing a Fire Bag So I Can Flee at the Drop of a Hat. I know for myself, to be extra safe during fire and heat wave season, I try to remember half a tank equals empty in my car. If my vehicle is half empty, that's empty during fire season. Because we never know when a fire is going to start. And that could save my life or somebody else's life. So in the last, uh, I guess, a little tidbit here that we'll throw in about the heat wave, because there's a lot of focus on people and humans, but the ripple effects are continuing to be understood about extreme events. And what's fascinating is the impacts on smaller sea life along the coast up in the Pacific Northwest in Canada, sea anemone and mussels and barnacles, more than one billion marine animals along Canada's Pacific coast are likely to have perished from last week's record heat wave Experts warn, highlighting the vulnerability of ecosystems unaccustomed to extreme temperatures. A marine biologist at the University of British Columbia, Christopher Harley, said that uh, he had gone out with a uh, student and noticed that while the air around Vancouver hovered around 100 degrees, they used infrared cameras to record temperatures along the rocky shore of 122 degrees mussels and uh, starfish and others literally cooked in the water. And what he's pointing out is the mass death of shellfish would temporarily affect water quality along the coast because mussels and clams help filter the sea, keeping it clear enough that sunlight reaches the eelgrass beds below while also creating habitats for other species. And while mussels can regenerate over a period of two years, starfish and clams live for decades and reproduce more slowly, taking a bit longer to return. Another heat wave is expected to strike the U.S. and southwestern Canada over the coming week. And the the Professor Harley states that the nerdy ecologist part of me is excited to see what will happen in the coming years. 
but most of the rest of me is kind of depressed by it. A lot of species are not going to be able to keep up with the pace of change. Ecosystems are going to change in ways that are really difficult to predict, and we don't know where the tipping points are. Well, that's all for today's Climate Report, broadcasting here on KVMR-FM and at kvmr.org every second and fourth Thursday at 6.30 p.m. I'm Martin Webb. For more news and views in between broadcasts and post-show links to today's articles, you can find the Climate Report page on Facebook. Feel free to also email climatereport at kvmr.org. And all Climate Report radio shows are archived in podcasts on the kvmr.org website. (laughs) 